Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ultimate OE. Ultimate OE provides safe, unique hunting-based experiences for passionate hunters and outdoorsmen. From hunting stone sheep in the mountains of British Columbia, rutting moose on the gravel bars of the Yukon, to chasing roaring red stags in the highland of Scotland, Ultimate OE's paid overseas experiences are designed for hunters, by hunters, to maximise enjoyment, learning and experience. For more information, it can be found at ultimateoe.co.nz or flick us an email, give us a call, we're always happy to talk through what kind of hunting adventure would be best for you. Welcome. I'm currently travelling around Scotland, visiting the States and catching up with some of the guys that did the training program earlier on the year. Part of this travel, I'm going to call in and meet with the gamekeepers and the other beat stalkers. But also, I've taken the opportunity to catch up with the Pace Brothers again. So this is a conversation around what it is the Pace Brothers do, what it is they hope to achieve by what they do, and just a, just an introduction to who they are for our listeners uh, the Pace Brothers are really passionate about what they do and about their role within the hunting community. I certainly enjoyed the chat. We did touch on a few topics that relate to New Zealand, uh, but essentially it, it was really just an open conversation. I hope you guys as listeners enjoy it. I know I certainly did. I know I value my time with the Pace Brothers. They are always good to have a conversation with. Uh, so please enjoy the podcast. Yeah. Did you get that torrential and thunder, uh, thunder and lightning while you've been here in Scotland? Or yeah, was so I drove up through it on the first day, hmm. and then obviously yesterday no thunder and lightning, but it was pretty wet. We needed. I was it. drastically trying to take some pictures every time I got out. Every lens got covered in water, and I, <laughs> uh. it was just a nightmare. But um, you're just going to have to make sure that the next time you come to Scotland, you're here for a little bit longer. Yeah, the plan would be next time would be trying to have two or three days. In every location. Yeah, definitely. Not two or three you need hours. It. Especially if one day gets wiped out with weather. Yeah. And looking at the tan of you, Scotland people. It's, uh... <laughs> Excuse me. This yeah. is the best tan that I've had for about 10 years. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you can actually see a tan line now. That's, this is unusual. This isn't <laughs> even African tan. No, I didn't think. It was winter when I was there. <laughs> Although, saying that, I was blessed with incredibly fine weather when I was in New Zealand with you as well. Yeah. Well, well in the time I was with, with Joseph first was, was incredible. We had a bit of rain when I was with you, but yeah, it was still bit. all right. The weather you had on the mountains was... Because it was opposing this. Like, we'd had poor weather all that time. Mm. And then you got away with it for that. So, we are... Um, we're sat in our office in Scotland, just at the bottom of uh, Glenesk, near Invermark, where you've been yesterday. And it does seem like last week that I was sitting on a sofa in a farmhouse with you in New Zealand, which is a little bit crazy. And now you're here in Scotland. So yep. welcome welcome to Scotland, even though this is sort of halfway through your Scottish trip. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, and it wasn't that long ago. What, three or four weeks, really? Yes. Uh, and it was. it's only been coincidence, much like our first meet. 
touching on Invermark. Mm. I visited up there yesterday. Uh, unfortunately, the weather wasn't great. The area itself still meant a lot for me in New Zealand mm. with the red there. Of course, Liberation yeah. uh, in Otago, which is where I'm from. So it was sort of... Because that was, that was the core of the, the, sc- the Scottish red deer. came from Invermark to that area. In to New Otago. Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, 1870. Mm. Uh, and I don't quote me here, but I think it was the first wild liberation. Like, so the deer okay. were wild as opposed to being from farm herds. Yeah, so it actually meant a little bit to me, randomly enough. I don't think yeah. I even saw a deer on the entire trip into Invermark and back, but it still meant a bit to me. Yeah. So uh, it was good. And it was good to meet Gary, the gamekeeper up there. And I think we, uh, I asked you about this a, a little bit when we did the podcast in New Zealand about your, your guys coming over here through Ultimate OE, but that's why you've, you've been here, isn't it? Because you now visit, cause this is your first lot of guys to a Scottish estate, and yep. one of the estates is Invermark. So, so you, you're you're happy? You've met you've met the head keeper. You think that you, your boys are going to be looked after? Well? Oh, they'll have a fantastic time with Gary. Like I've got no doubt in that. But yeah, there's, so this is the first season. As part of that, I visit all the estates just to understand a little bit and introduce myself and go further down the relationship. Uh, I think that's important. I I put a quite a lot of value on ensuring my guys that travel are going to have a good time. Mm. That they all know they're going to work hard. There's no grey area in that. But I want them to have a good time. This is their one once in a lifetime opportunity potentially. It could be more than that, but my role on that is their first time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, very important for me. That's good. There'll be some university student crying now because a Kiwi's taken his job up at Invermark. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Gary did say he, he always has them. It's just, I guess, what well, after the discussion with Gary, what, what it is that the Kiwis offer is a bit more duration. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. no. they're doing a whole yeah. season. Yeah. yeah, so they'll stags and hinds. And... and labor work on the estates as well well that yeah. that why well, that is one of the problems they have is because the a lot of students do go up there they do the start the, of the, grass the, the grass start the grass season and then they have to go back yeah, to yeah, university yeah. so yeah. yeah so so we hope that um it follows our canadian model and you know becomes really successful uh, i want to sign up to your canadian canadian model and <laughs> do one of those trips over there yeah uh, it's awesome but it, like i've touched on in the earlier podcast or earlier um it's what they then bring back to New Zealand as educated hunters. Hmm. Like that's, that's N- nice plug plug for the <laughs> other podcast, <laughs> wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But that, that's well that's what matters. Yeah. So yeah, they do bring that. But but the the reason for this conversation. Yeah. So we need we need to flip it over yeah, here because yeah. this is where's the last. I, one I do actually podcast. have a question yeah. now. Then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fire okay. <laughs> before yeah, Kieran yeah, goes before before you start actually because I think this is meant to be your podcast <laughs> that we're talking right now. Um, I'm assuming it makes it easier because we're all part of the Commonwealth for visas. Is that, that why? That so sorry, because we've got a huge amount of American listeners. You guys are out. You're, 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 yeah, you're no, definitely um, the Commonwealth visa is yeah. is where it's at at the moment yeah. for us. We are working, trying to figure out other visas and other ways and means. I mean, know, if unfortunately, the way hunting seasonal hunting roles are valued around the world quickly gets bracketed as anybody can do that. Why don't you just get somebody from your country? Whereas... Those of us that are involved in the industry understand there's a bit more to it. So we are working, trying to figure out other visas, but for now... But for now, it makes, li- it makes life easy that we can all work in each other's countries yeah. uh, quite fairly fairly freely. And if the yeah. Americans hadn't revolted back in the day and uh, <laughs> expelled... Then they would have also been <laughs> part they, of the they British Empire. They could have <laughs> also been involved in this. You, you realise that that's just lost our entire North American <laughs> list. Well, the, no, the no. thing for me is, like, there is ways and means around different visas possibly ways and means around other visas but I you just, can't put people I, in containers and like <laughs> no 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 no. but i just i i just don't want the social responsibility of 
building somebody up for a massive experience and having it change yeah. at the door of the visa. Like, I, I just don't want that myself. I'd rather some sort of guarantee about this is what you can do. This will be awesome. This will be exciting. You'll learn a lot. Let's do it. Because you can, just on, on the visa front, because you can rock up. I know Australia, you can do six months working, uh, basically, as you rock up. Uh, New Zealand, I think, is the same. From the UK, I'm talking about if you travel from the UK. And I'm assuming you guys, you can rock up here. We, we get 23 months. 23 months. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You guys are generous. No, no, no. For us to you. Oh, to so us, you to guys us. are generous. Yeah, yeah we're yeah, generous. Yeah. You just like good talent. Like <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah. But but you're, you're, right, you're right, though. Um, as an example of how difficult it can be for anybody else, really, trying to go to America to go and work or get visas. Uh, there's a lady from Manchester who is like right up top five in CrossFit in the world. And they've got the CrossFit Games this weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if she's going to get her visa in time. Yet she applied within the correct time. and But they might not let her in to go and compete at the CrossFit Games. Really? And yet she's been top five in the world. Is that because it's work years. for her? I don't know. It could be. Because essentially it is work. Because you can win a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, it's win. work. It's yeah, but yeah. the, the difficulty... Because we, we actually tried to find a way of having people from the UK come and do our Canadian experiences. Yeah. But the biggest difficulty was we your, can your, visa, <laughs> your visa allotment gets snapped up in literally hours. And from my understanding and what I've been told is you actually have rogue companies that buy all these and then distribute and then sell them, them on profit later on. Uh, and that's okay. what buggers it for you. you know? yeah. But anyways. Yeah, back yeah. to, back Sorry, to, back to your podcast. All that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to introduce the Pace Brothers as a brand. That, yeah. Is that how you refer to that? I suppose it's come become a little bit of that. Yep. I mean, for us, it's just easier to refer to us as Pace Brothers because yeah, yeah. then we we both kind of can do what one another can do. So whether it's filming or photography or we're hunting or speaking to people, I see us both as the same. So it doesn't really matter who it is if one of us isn't available, the other one steps in. So yeah, okay. we refer to as that. But yeah, that that and then obviously we've got our production company side of things. So it's it's we try and separate it. We, we try and separate it so that you've got our production company. And then you kind of got us as a <laughs> as an entity. As an and entity. And the reason for that is because us, the Pace Brothers, our podcast, that kind of all goes mm-hmm. together. And it's and very we, we also do we are, it's very hunting focused. So we've also do guided hunts. I say guided hunts, it's kind of we'll, I'm assuming we'll get onto this maybe if yep. we've got time. Yep. Wilderness hunt in the UK and that's kind of a separate entity and then you've got the production company side of things and that's because it's a production company it ranges from everything though we started life in field sports and our focus is probably what Varen 60 70 percent yeah uh feel not just field sports but outdoors yeah. and then the rest is kind of other stuff other stuff and we music mm-hmm. videos and mm-hmm. and, uh, and whatever it is yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. whatever comes by yeah. Yeah. and the reason and the reason that we kind of split it like this if you go onto our pace productions website which is our company you won't until you really dig down deep, you won't see a lot of hunting stuff. And the reason for that is just the world that we live in, it can put companies off if they're trying to look for a production company to produce something for them. And then they just get greeted by all this hunting. Fishing's less of a problem, but hunting stuff. So we're not hiding it, but we no. put we bring to the top all the other stuff that we do, which is de- you know, de- equally as good. Def- definitely not hiding it, because if you look at the clients yeah. uh, that we have, then you, it's can, not difficult you put to work two and two it together. Out, yeah. But we don't we don't like flaunt it on the production side and that's why we there are plenty of companies around the world and production houses that they make that their sole focus that is all they do and that's fine but then that's the only industry they're ever going to be able to work in because 
a lot outside they don't want we've had it especially recently. in the uk yeah especially yeah. In the, we've had it recently with that question so we, we'd love to work with you but we need to sit down have a meeting with you and see how your you as the production company which will have the space production stamp on it would be portrayed to the outside world because we are not involved in hunting or fishing so they come they look at the website they see remove pace brothers pace productions as a company how does it look to the outside world is it palatable that's sad that we have to it consider that, but that we had to take that into account because we wanted to be able to have our business grow. It, it, it is sad, and that's partly the realisation that we have and the understanding that hunting isn't always perceived positively. No. And, and that, that's unfortunate, especially those of us that are involved in it understand there's a lot more to it than how it's perceived. So what, what is it that guys like yourself that are educated and professional, what is it? that you would like to see Joe Public change or do in their day-to-day -day hunting and social media publication to, I guess, increase, increase the positive interaction of hunting? Like, do, you th do you see small changes that they can do? There, there is. Um, uh, for me, I, I mean, I'll start with, with pictures, for one. And I, I've actually started either deleting people or just hiding it from my, my, my uh, Facebook page because I don't, I don't want to see it. Foxes heads blowing up, things like that. We all know what high-caliber bullets can do to a fox and, and so on. It, it's small things like that where you put up a picture and, yeah, to your mates and that, it's great, it's fine. But if you just put up that picture on your Facebook or whatever feed, Instagram feed, with absolutely, basically no explanation, no context, no context but even if the context is correct, all that they're seeing is a picture, what what kind of message does that, does that put out? It's not a good message. And... Ultimately, all people see that don't hunt or fish or shoot or whatever, all they're seeing is that picture. Yes. And they don't care what the rest of the story is, be it, it ate 50 chickens. It, do, it doesn't matter yeah. to them. Um, so people just need to be a bit more wary of what they, they put up online. And, and there'll be people saying, well, I don't care. Like, yeah, I can put up my what right. I, it's my right. Yeah. I can, well, yeah, okay. It's the most arrogant thing in the world, though. Yeah. You don't care. It's not your right. Yeah. No. And, and it's a privilege. You've been to New Zealand now, yeah. Byron, and I'm not sure if you have. I, I have, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you may have tasted it a little bit as well. New Zealanders, and I'm inclusive, other than the, my time I've spent internationally, like we still live in a bubble where that would be our defence. Hmm. It's our right. We always hunt. We're allowed to hunt. Who are you to tell us we can't hunt? You know, like, and it gets. But and further, you get, you get away with it a bit more there yeah. in terms of society because you and I, we we had had a, a great couple of days hunting. We had four pigs on the back of your pickup and a fallow deer, and we parked in the the supermarket. Or you went to go and pick up something. With it uncovered, uh, you know, it wasn't, that was just how we were transporting it. It wasn't doing it to show anything off. No, no. It was just, we, we were going from A to B and they were uncovered, strapped down on top. You could never do that here. Mm. Like, yeah, you could try, yeah. but I guarantee if you, you do that be, in any major city, you'd, you'd, you'd be on a national headline before you yeah. know. If somebody, all that takes is one picture here, yeah. and Daryl's probably yeah. right. It'd probably that, but that's what worries me. So you get away with it. More. We get away with it now. The likelihood that that's going to remain that way is very low. I guess that's why we, you know, we, the educator hunter, we want to st allow for new interpretation of what is acceptable. And it's and, not and about hiding. Changes. It's not about no, hiding. No, not it's hiding definitely it not. But what we present. Yeah, it's being it's being about smarter about how we are portrayed, and also accepting and challenging ourselves about the the aspects of hunting within our own countries and internationally, which cross that moral line of acceptability. 
Uh, and I think very often we're not honest enough with ourselves. We think because it comes under the, the hunting banner or the, hu the hunting umbrella, we have to defend all of it. I think that's a mistake. I used to think that. I used to think, yeah, we, we have to defend every single aspect, no matter what it is, because it's one more chink in the armor. But I think the reality is moving forward is that we need to assess every aspect of it and really just ask the honest questions and see, okay, pretend I'm not involved in this and I don't want to be involved in it because it's not my thing. How is that viewed? And then you take that view and see and, and dig into it another level down and just make sure that it is the right thing that we should be doing. Saying I, I'm all for tradition, and you know, we live in a country which has got a much lo yeah. long, longer history in terms of tradition of hunting than New yeah, Zealand yeah. does, just because you're a much newer country. So we have you know, tweeds and hundreds of years of records on estates, and it's awesome, and I love and embrace every aspect of that. However, to use the fact that something is tradition as the only justification for doing something is just bull. Because there are lots of things in different cultures around the world that you can say, well, it's my tradition to do it. But you know that it's morally mm -hmm. corrupt. There are, there are, there's any number of things. You could even look at things involved in religion, stoning yeah. of people. Yep. in other parts of the yep. world. We well, are that's becoming part better educated in every that, form of life. Exactly. Like, that's yeah. part of their culture. Changes. That's part of their culture, right? Is it okay? Well, some people think it is, but most people would say today that's not okay. Bear baiting. Is th that is part of um, a culture and you know their history. Is it okay? Most people would say today it's not. And, and we can... And it's we, hard we to justify from a hunting point of view. Well, you, you can't. You, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard based on, you know, if you try and bring your level of ethics into yeah. it, which... Everybody's ethic level is different. It does, which yeah. brings about its own confusion. We've we've you had know, these debates. Yeah. yeah. The, the the thing is, it's I mean, we've said it over our shows. It's not. It's not. It's especially not me and Byron preaching, going. You need to be ethical in everything you need to do. At, at, well, you should be ethical, but it's not us preaching. We've seen over the years everything that goes wrong. New Zealand has an opportunity to look at the rest of the world. I think we've talked about this in other podcasts. See what everyone else has done wrong and actually start to change now before things are forced upon you it's so that you don't lose so you, you don't lose what, what, yeah. what you what you have reaffirming what i yeah. believe you, you, all you have to do is look at what's going on in the uk what's going on in america and go and a lot of europe uh, yeah, and a lot of europe and go what's been going wrong there and it's because basically the, the we haven't evolved as a we haven't changed and we've been on the back foot for <laughs> for since forever since, since forever. my entire lifetime as yeah. new zealand you guys are in the fortune position where you're probably still ahead it's socially, ahead. Yeah, socially yeah. acceptable it's, it's socially acceptable uh, and, and, and you can keep that by keeping the correct messages about being a little bit more ethical in the way that you shoot educating people young kids but the thing is right now you know your country's probably doing a pretty good job at you know passing it down to the generations but as we've seen in this country only takes one or two generations and it's yep. gone that's yep. it that's yep. all it takes and those generations yeah. are for us in New Zealand are right now yeah, yeah. like it's literally you're about you're on the, change, the yeah. next generation yeah. could be completely different, yeah. and I th yeah, that's definitely where it needs to change. So, back to you guys because we sort of keep going down <laughs> these rabbit holes. But um, one thing I wanted to talk about on this podcast for New Zealanders is your film festival, because we because we do hunt with such regularity, and social media is a is an empire. What that's allowed is for recreational video. And, and th which I think is a good thing. We just need to tweak it in a direction that's always positive, as because there is some 
stuff that we should probably refrain from having on video. But you guys run a festival. Like, what it, what is it that you hope to achieve with that festival? And, and you know, what's the reason behind the festival? When when we set it up, we were very aware of ex- exactly what you've outlined. That there is a lot of content out there. There's a few. There's never been more video or picture content available to the masses, to the to the general public, uh, and also to the hunting public. Uh, but we were also very aware that there's actually quite a lot of shit content out there. And by shit content, I mean stuff that, and this goes back to the, the first discussion that we've just had, that does not portray hunting in the light uh, and the sort of the true grassroots of what hunting is. And amongst hunters, they may watch something and they get it because they understand a bit of the backstory. So you don't necessarily need to explain to them someone goes out on the hill, kills a deer, takes it, takes it back, or you don't even see the last part of the story. You just see them kill the deer. You can fill in the blanks because you know, and most of the time uh, you understand that these people have been doing it for the right reasons. But if somebody from the outside watches that or they watch a kill shot reel of hundred animals just dropping bang drop bang drop what does that portray Mm -hmm. so it goes back to this it goes back to how do we rewrite a narrative about hunting in all its forms that can reinforce the good of what hunting does and you have to tie that to um, ethics morality and importantly, conservation and the wildlife that you're hunting. Because for us, it always comes back to what is best for the wildlife. I'm, and we are not of the view that in every instance, hunting is the answer. We don't always need to be killing something to save it, which is <coughs> the story that we like to tell. Yep. You know, we like to use these, um, especially some of the big organizations in America, uh, where you see most of this coming out, these eye-catching hashtags. Huntervationist is one that I absolutely hate mm-hmm. because I think it's a cop-out. Uh, it's very easy to brand that hashtag. I'm a hunter, there. I'm there, therefore I'm a conservationist, which can be true. Yep. And I embrace that. But let's pair it back and really ask the questions, well, if you're going to say that, what are you doing to make you that do? true? Yep. Just the fact that you pull the trigger and kill something does not make you a conservationist. And that is... That's the road that we've taken down because we realize as hunters that's that's the, the popular justification. Yeah. That, I, I agree because my, my thoughts on that is it's too easy for us to justify post. Mm-hmm. And I mean that by post-harvest. Yeah. Like, oh, I did it for conservation. I did it because I'm going to eat the meat. But tell me why you did it. I did it because it's a pest if you're in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is everything. But, but tell me why you did it. Yeah. And what the value for you was prior to shooting it exactly like that that changes it for me but uh, yeah so so that's what that's what we wanted we wanted those stories really great stories that explain hunting and there wasn't really a film festival where that was the ethic and ethos of it where you could tackle the future of hunting and how we safeguard that in film there are a lot of great film festivals out there particularly in america we didn't have any for the hunting market here at all and there's very, very few in Europe. Um, so having uh, already had our production company for two years and set it up on the basis that we wanted to tell stories like that, we didn't want to just churn out stuff that was for hunters. We wanted to produce cinema, that was the aim, for everybody so that everybody could watch it. Someone who wasn't into hunting could consume a video, understand and learn something about it and enjoy the visual experience. 
so that w those were the kind of entries we wanted in the film festival and, and basically the reason we set it up and the, and the night that we had our premiere um, we had a whole heap of great films and, and a room full of people and we built the night around the films but more than that the whole ethos of the night was the future of hunting so we had speeches from a number a number of people uh, that evening all which, tackling which that which you question. can hear on can. the podcast yes mm -hmm. yeah if you want to hear all the, they are, they in fact they are they're, they're all, all together yeah, they're yeah, all, all together on the podcast so if you are interested in the speeches you can hear all of them yeah. no it is good and and what you were saying in, in reflection is that the uninformed is such a large volume of people and you know I look at it in a comparative what David Edinburgh did for wildlife conservation through his television programs to the uninformed to the to the couch conservationist we could do the same with hunting and that they could view it with entertainment and emotion yeah and i think that would be great that's great for the the thing especially we we've, you see it a lot here is it's uh, people seem to think it's uh, i hunt or you don't don't hunt you don't hunt or when you don't agree but the people forget there's actually most of the people out there just either don't have an opinion or they don't mm. care yeah. or they're just not informed about it. So they're like this big middle grey area. And those are the people that you need to be, you know, informing. Those are those are the important people. And they're not all against you. You just, they just yeah, want the yeah. information. And yeah. and that's the We thing. often think that. That's yeah, what you often think, oh yeah, the rest of the world's against me. No, actually there's more people that are just middle gr middle just ground, un uninformed and if you explain it to correct them uh, sorry explain it to them correctly, they go, Oh, Okay, I didn't realize that's You're how it was. Not so heartless. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I maybe don't yeah. want to participate, yeah. In yeah. It, yeah. but yeah. Uh, but I understand, fine. and that's, yeah. that is fine uh, that because is fine. <laughs> as much as I'd love more people to to hunt and harvest their own meat, there isn't <laughs> enough space for everybody to do it. So yeah. I don't want everyone to do it in a way, uh, but it's it's great for people to understand it and embrace it. And we have lots of examples of that, even like through our podcast, which is what you're trying to do through your podcast, mm -hmm. educate hunters to better portray themselves and be in a better position to be able to explain what they do and justify it and maybe reevaluate what they do. So mm -hmm. maybe they change yep. the way that they do it a bit as well, but also present information in a way that is n that people from outside of our community, people who participate in field sports, don't feel alienated. So we know from the messages that we get, we have people who listen, who don't fish and don't shoot may have come by it at some point and that might be their lead in but they're not participating in it but they still listen they still take the time to email a message and comment on stuff because they're interested and by that they've become to understand just because they are interested people as most people are you know most people will listen to a bit of the news they'll read articles in national geographic they might never visit the country that they're reading about or they might never participate in you know, someone who's uh, on an island somewhere and they're explaining how they've fished and how the natives fished since the beginning of time. You may never go and experience that mm. for yourself. But people well, most are still, likely not. You're not. But people are still interested in it. They still read about it. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between that and what we do? And I w actually, we were talking about this in the office the other day, or maybe I, I was speaking about it with, with um, Jenna when she was over, is we have this really weird contradiction where you watch amazing programs like 
uh, Blue Planet or any of these programs that you know go deep into the Amazon and you're looking at native tribes and you're watching them blowpipe birds out the tree, shoot stuff with bows, and it's great. We, we embrace it, and when we look at it, you know, it's part of it is part of their culture and, mm-hmm. and who they are. And yet, you put someone from the Western world, the supposedly more civilized world, if you want to call it that, with a gun, and you watch them kill something and process it and eat it. And it's a problem. Mm-hmm. So why is it okay for a, a a group of people in whatever culture and part of the world that is that are backwards in time? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a really poor way of, of, descri- of describing it, but they haven't come gone through industrial revolutions like mm-hmm. we have. Probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could justify <laughs> it. Probably is a you good thing. Just now yeah. that they're not on social media. Yeah, they're not. All of that, the, the modern trimmings, yeah. which are largely just bullshit. They're, pro- they're, they're yeah. probably happier. They probably <laughs> are happier. Yeah. Why is that okay? And we embrace it and watch it and think it's awesome. We watch it on TV from our, co- from our couches. Mm-hmm. But when you take that into the modern world, it's suddenly not okay anymore. And yet it's the same activity. In fact, it's holding on to a little bit of that mm-hmm. past. But we but don't accept it the same. Yeah, but is that because partly we're trying to recreate a tarnished version? If if everything that had always been on social media or viewed to the public had always been ethical, w- you know, well-made decisions and resourceful. That's a great point. Right from the start. So there'd never been any gray area. Yeah. Would it be viewed differently? Well, that's a great point. Because when you look at it in the that, that instance of the remote tribe, why are they doing it? Well, they're doing it for very honest reasons. Mm-hmm. They're doing it to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. For the most part, that is what we actually do. The, the, the average recreational hunter, that is what they're doing. They're going, they're hunting, they're killing something, and they're putting it in the freezer. But you're right. We, and this goes back to how we publicly portray ourselves through pictures, through the vast, the, the vast amount of video content that's out there, and how we, we've distorted the, pla- the, the reasons that we go and kill animals Talking about New Zealand because it's a pest and you lose a, necess- a respect for the animals that you're pursuing and you end up in this whole other world of hunting, which mm. is, is very far removed from the reasons that we do it. So maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe th- that is why. Mm. And that is something that we need to address and hopefully we are addressing by having, having these conversations. You know, Why are we going in pursuit of an animal? Why are we killing it? What are we doing afterwards? What are the reasons for it? Mm-hmm. How do we treat them? Yep, yep, massive conversation. <laughs> like, and it literally, you could just keep going round and round because there's always another point. But I, I just to keep sharing more about what you guys do. So you guys do a wilderness hunt as well, with the public. Uh, what is your motivation behind that? I, I assume it follows a very similar line in the in the education format. Yeah, what what is it that you? trying to achieve or are achieving with that wilderness hunt well it, it came around because of the amount of emails and messages we got from people saying can we hunt the way that you guys do not not necessarily all the time but stay staying out so well, it came off the back of our first series of our first series staying out camp for two three days and you know go find your animals, bring it back to camp, eat some of it, whatever you're going to do, store some of it. Normally it's in winter, so you can leave mm-hmm. it out. And we got so many messages, we're like, well, actually, can can we do this? Can we bring people and, and uh, 
take us take them with well, us. We were trying to give people options. Yeah. Like, oh, we'll find out for you. And basically, you couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there was nowhere to do it. No one had done it in this this country. And the thing we call it a wilderness hunt, and other people from other parts of the world would probably laugh, especially Kiwis, because th- that's what they do. But in the UK, you can't really do well, that. Well, we don't yet. have the public land you guys yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah. So we... We found the the place that we could do it. We we had the tents, we had the stoves, and we yeah, we we organised it. Yeah. And we took, um, I don't know, how many groups we had now? Four, 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 four groups, four groups yeah. of um, people out with us, uh, staying out for three. I think it was three days, four days. Uh, so it was like three nights, four yeah. days. Three yeah, three nights, four days in the the Scottish Highlands, um, kind of in the middle of a state. How much? Fifty thousand acres. acres. So I mean, it's a reasonable area, yeah. and we had. You can't hunt it. You yeah, can't hunt no, it in no, three yeah. or four days. Yeah. Um, and we had the whole area to ourselves. And nearly everyone that was with us were actually experienced um, okay. themselves. So uh, we did cater to all levels. So you didn't actually have to have really any experience. We would have taken them on the range. Everyone had a chance to go on the range before we went up just to make sure that we could see their abilities and if they were bringing their own rifles, check everything. But everyone that has been has been actually experienced, which is which is fine. And... We were kind of we weren't there to guide them, especially the experience guide. We're not there. We were just there to. We knew the land, so we were there to suggest. Uh, yeah, and and just we always said that it's like this is your you, hunt. Yeah, you decide what you want. And, you know, obviously, if we if they ask for some help or advice, then we're going to give it to them because we know the the land. And we were obviously making sure that they were coming back and no one was going to die because, <laughs> because it was some quite social responsibility. Yeah, 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 there was some responsibility of you need to make and sure. And there your was some horrendous die. weather. Yeah, while the we're weather was pretty horrendous. And that's what we did. And uh, the first hunt that we did, there was two females, two males, all from Scandinavia. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, it was twins and the, the two um, girls. Uh, I say girls, the women. Uh, they were, um, they um, because Everyone can take their meat back, but because they were from uh, abroad, they didn't take the, their meat back. But what happened was all that meat was donated to the homeless shelter in Aberdeen. So nothing was nothing was wasted, but everyone else on all the rest of the hunts has taken their game all back. Taken In fact, sometimes more. <laughs> yeah, sometimes more. They've 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 bought carcasses bought more up. from really? the larder when we've got back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's that. That was where we did it. Yeah. yeah. To to create an opportunity where people were in a position of responsibility for kind of looking after themselves and managing their own their own time and their own hunt because. As I said, we don't have the public lands that you guys have. I was looking at a map of your public lands and it just sort of spreads up and down the country and you've got these massive areas. It, that doesn't really exist here. We have um, free public access to between the high, and, um, high, high tide and low tide mark for wildfowl, mm-hmm. which you can access at no cost. It's not actually public land. It's owned by the Queen. Queen the, yeah, But you can access it. It doesn't cost you anything. But largely speaking, for deer stalking, it's on private land. So it is normally by, for example, there's some um, farms that we can see from the office here that we've hunted on for 20 years. And they're friends of ours who own farms. So, you know, we have a, an agreement with them. You know, like this farm up the road, whatever deer I shoot on there, I split the carcass and I process half for him and we keep half. And that's the deal. And a lot of the low ground stalking across the whole of the UK is a bit like that. It'll be individual relationships and agreements. Some of it's rented. In the upland area, it's largely speaking very big estates. So it could be everything from anything from 5,000 acres to 120,000, I think, which is Blair, uh, the Athol estate of mm-hmm. Blair Castle. And there, you have to you have to pay to go go and hunt. 
but it's not closed down to the public. It's not so, like here's private area yeah. you can't access it, which some of the private areas in North America are like. Mm-hmm. It's like you will be shot on sight if you walk over yeah. the boundary. Largely speaking, it is accessible. You go and buy, for, for the American listeners to the podcast, an over-the-counter tag, essentially, from the estate. You go and pay for your day's stalking. But what there isn't... With a is guide. The, with a add. guide, yeah. Well, yeah. that's what I was going to say. What there isn't is this uh, unguided, freely available, unguided stalking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, in Scotland, we have access to everywhere, but not for hunting and fishing. So you, so can, walk, you can walk anywhere you want. We have the right yeah. to roam right here. To roam, yeah. So yeah. you can you can walk, hike, fish, camp, uh, forage. Not There's fish. Not mu- you can't fish anywhere. Sorry, did I say fish? Yeah. Sorry, you can't fish anywhere um there is very cheap fishing available yeah. almost i was gonna say you can't fish anywhere you want but it's so cheap in some places yeah. that it's almost it's almost, it's almost yeah. insignificant so you can do almost anything you like with a certain level of responsibility and there's mm. a code of uh, code of good practice for using all the land and it's all private land you but you can do that but you just can't hunt or fish so we were kind of facilitating this yeah. ability to have this self-guided responsibility where you're not, and that was why Daryl said we weren't there to guide people. We were just there to hunt with them, like mm-hmm. buddies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think that you get a very different, you treat your hunt very differently if you're by Definitely yourself. Definitely agree. And uh, I think I even said that in one of our very early emails. I was yeah. like, this isn't going to be a guided hunt. This is kind of like two guys having a <laughs> yeah. walk together. You know, like that, that's what I enjoy. That's what that's what it was for us. Yeah. Two guys or three guys depends. You know how yeah. many we were going out with. Just walking to the to together and then <laughs> to, to go and hunt, figuring a plan. And it was a you know it's it's not a, a stressful thing for yeah. the guide sweating. Yeah. It's yeah. no, we'll make a plan here. You know, it's see yeah. a good guide. I think does that. Whereas so. they feel that you know they want your input. A bad guide is someone that tells you it's what to do all the time. And you listen, you do exactly what they say, and you pull the trigger at the end of the day. Yeah. What have you no, gained by that? In that? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I've been with guides and stalkers yeah. that are like that. Mm-hmm. And I hate it. Oh. And I, e- it's e- a vacant space. It is. You're just following along. Yeah. And, yeah. and even even the, the good guys, I sometimes feel a bit uncomfortable when I've done that. Because I do so much hunting by myself, or so much. I've been, I'm lucky to do so much hunting with friends who happen to be PHs or yeah. guys, depending on what country you're in. But because they're my mates... It's different. You're hunting with a mate. So then it, there isn't this sort of guiding relationship. And I wanted to uh, recreate that because I always felt that when I was being guided, in inverted commas, I kind of switched off a bit because the responsibility on spotting the game lies with the guide because that's their job. But if you flip that and say, this is your hunt, it's your hunt. Mm-hmm. You're guided. I'm not going to walk in front. We're going to walk side by side or I'll walk behind you. It really changes your attitude oh. as the hunter, and I, I didn't want to take that away from people. I wanted to give it back to them, mm-hmm. the, and the, that's what we did. They, well, uh, yeah, they also had the responsibility of if you shoot the animal, <laughs> you got to bring it back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is good. Which is good because you know when it's you're real. when you're walking further and further and further away from mm-hmm. camp, they start thinking if I, uh, I if I shoot something out my body now, condition score. Yeah. Yeah. Is this going to work? You know yeah. what? All of them have done it. Yeah, Every single one, it, yeah. they all did it. They loved it, and and the, that's the thing is the camp as well, the camp experience. I mean, it's not it's not African camp with yeah. it. It was you know it's a, but it's, it's, it's a, yeah it's the it, highlands it and it was bloody cold. Yeah. In fact, it was probably the coldest I've ever been was in the last one we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it doesn't sound very cold, but it was about minus eight inside the tent at night. 
well, my, my watch. When, when you add yeah. some wet to that. Well, that's the problem. And wet, cold. I, I had stupidly bought the wrong sleeping bag that, that, <laughs> that time. And I was cold. I was really cold. But I was fine the rest of the time. I won't make that mistake twice again. Yeah. A new sleeping bag is being purchased. I, I, I brought with me my three season one. And it was rated to like minus two. And typically, we don't get those kind of temperatures up there. And yes, yeah, so I'm never making that mistake yeah. again. But it, it is great. Just to, just to finish up on the point of responsibility for your shooting. What I really enjoyed seeing was that continual evaluation of the responsibility of being able to t having to take stuff off and it's not that people leave stuff on the hill here it's just that generally speaking you'll shoot something you'll make a plan Somebody you'll drag it problem. it's well, it, yeah <laughs> basically drag it yeah, if you drag yeah. it to a track, track yeah. Yeah. a four by four comes or a quad bike or an argo comes and picks it up or on some of the traditional states and some of the difficult terrain there's a ponyman yeah. which a lot of your guys are going to be doing mm -hmm. or coming up with ultimate oe and it gets put on the pony by the, the stalker by the guide and gets taken off there, you pull the trigger wherever that animal has landed. You know where you camp is <laughs> yeah. because you walked there from yeah. the morning. And that's, we say, look, we, we could, it is possible, there is the facilities that we could make this easier and we could go and take a, an Argo out, uh, you know, via trailer and go and pull all this stuff. I said, but that's not what this is about. This is about, this is about grafting and hunting the way it used to be. Yeah. And oh, so you're so responsible. Yeah. Oh, well, but you see, the let, they, let, they, they get let's way more satisfaction. Let's put it this out. way. All of them, have either asked to come back or are coming back yeah, for right, other other things. So I, um, I, I would say that they enjoyed it. Then. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um, just, just going way back yeah. on that, um, it was interesting to hear you when we were making reference to New Zealand's public land mm. versus the private land. In my head, I was going, oh, there's so many pros and cons either way. Oh, there is. Because what I, was, what I heard was we've got all this conservation land and it's like, but nobody manages or looks after anything. Whereas you've got all this private land, but from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, the gamekeepers and, and their roles involved in managing everything. So whilst there might be a small limitation to access, even if it comes down to just price, mm -hmm. the animals are managed and there are animals there, whereas we go the other way. Mm. And you can go wherever you want, but as in our current conversation prior to the turning the headsets on, a lot of tar have just been shot. Yep, You may very well go for a nice nature walk there yeah. you know, instead of your hunt. You know, yeah, yeah, because there might not be nothing to see. I'm like, oh, there's, you know, if we could take a little bit of that, bring <sighs> it across. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. And I think the difference is um, if you ignore the, 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 is it publicly or privately owned, the big difference is there's a vested interest. Mm -hmm. So because it is privately owned, the people who have the rights of that hunting block, if you want to call an estate that, mm -hmm have a vested interest in the population of game within it because it is part of it's part of their model. Uh, I should add, they're not fenced. No, no, they're, no, 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 no. they're not but, fenced. But then with that comes a cost. They have a cost to bear what? in that. Yeah, there's a huge which cost. we don't have. Yeah. So nobody wants to spend money and nobody, like as a hunter, we don't pay as such to hunt. We do a little bit for some of our ballots around mm. roars and ruts and peak periods, but as a hunter, we do not pay, and therefore, we partly remove—not the right, the right it's poor wording—but we kind of remove the right to argue about what's happening up there because we're not actually invested you're, in you're it. You're not, at all. no. Exactly. And you know, like I—and I've raised it in one of my other podcasts back home. Like, are we at a point where we, as these young hunters, should be contributing to an overall management to sort of find a good neutral number? You know, like we sort of peak in trough, and I know you, you understand a little bit through 
you know, your recent trip to New Zealand mm. and just, you know, by being educated. You know, we peak and trough so much where you guys have got a little bit of opposition against hunting and you're working through that. And we haven't got that yet, but it's coming. But we also have that with within ourselves as hunters. Yeah. We are up and down all over the show, you know, and we don't support each other. We don't look for bigger, you know, bigger picture items, you know, like we should be. And I just, that that's where it confuses me. And that's why I liked your wilderness hunt. I was like, oh, you're getting people out that you're seeing. It's a little bit of, real it's a little bit of, what you're available, what's possible in New Zealand, but within the constraints of the private land ownership, and within the constraints of the management. So, we knew, for example, on that uh, on the estate that the, the last couple of hunts have been on, they have so many hinds that they were cu- culling within the season. So we were always going to be Take under that ourselves. So, so, so we, we were we were still we were contributing. Yeah, to we're, that. we were part of the management mm-hmm. plan. That's mm-hmm. that's what we were. So we knew what we had to get, and everyone was brief. This is what we are after. And yes, yeah, so mm. directly contributing to the management plan yeah. because they know the numbers that Whereas they've we, got. We don't have anything formal like that. So mm. some guys do go out and contribute occasionally, but by, by shooting offsets. By, by shooting offsets, but I don't think anybody would actually put their hand up and say, "Hey, I've done my part." You know, like really done my part, mm. hand on heart. I've done my part. So therefore, you know, how do we in New Zealand? How do we get to that point? That's it, a, re- it's a really it? how difficult. do we fund it? The, like, the idea that as hunters you can go and use a resource and contribute nothing i think is madness mm-hmm. we have to contribute something because we're getting so much out of it and that may not be necessarily restricting access to places but if you want there to be a model for management and conservation that is economic and can be funded and can be continuous into the future you need money. Mm-hmm. Money, yeah, money is, is what yeah. allows it these things the to happen. Yeah, it is like what allows these things to happen. So you know, it doesn't take much to imagine a system where you contribute a certain amount every year. And, and maybe it doesn't have to be a lot. And it like doesn't have to be a lot because, it's a, because you have so many people hunting. And get yeah. the foreigners to pay a little bit more. Yeah, get <laughs> yeah put yeah. some limitation on yeah. that, like for sure. Like, I, or barrier I, to entry. And like, I not, wouldn't not mind that. You know, As a foreigner who's just gone and experienced New Zealand and it was freaking awesome, um, you know, it was amazing. I would not mind contributing. In fact, I expect to. Mm-hmm. I expect to mm-hmm. have to but contribute. We don't in New Zealand, mm. but that's that behind at that it's point. But it's going to have to change gonna, because yeah. otherwise, how how do you find the resource? And we have a resource problem here as well because there's a, especially in Scotland, there's this very much a move towards greater public ownership of land, funny enough, uh, where the land is being taken back by communities. But the problem that, that lies with that is that where do those communities find the money to carry on the management which currently takes place here? And we don't have a system or we don't have the Pittman-Robertson Act like they have mm-hmm. in North America yeah. where a certain percentage of your ammo There's and your rifles and everything yeah. goes into a, a, a ring-fenced pool that has to be used for conservation. We don't have over-the-counter tags for certain species, which the money then goes into conservation. We only have the money that you exchange for a day's hunting, which goes towards an estate, pays a wage, pays which pays a wage yeah. so that a stalker can, when no one wants to go out and the weather's crap, can go and cull those extra few hinds in a year so that you've got a balance of population on an estate that isn't damaging the habitat, that the, the actual population dynamics is right within those herds. You know, somebody has to do that. And as if the d- and you can't really expect the general public 
the recreational hunter who has a, a nine to five Monday to Friday to be able to do all of that. It's madness. Well, you they, can't. Well, and they don't. And they don't. They, they, they don't. Like they, back in New Zealand, they will argue that tooth and like they yes we'll well, do that, it. that we will we do can it. do yeah, it. Yeah. You know, like I could go up there and shoot the deer. It's like well you don't like. <laughs> Maybe you some can. guys do. Some guys <laughs> do. Don't get me wrong. Some guys do legitimately hunt. But if you're going to walk, for, and you, like we touched on with the wilderness hunt, if you're going to walk for three or four hours, what? Like, how are you going to shoot multiple enough deer to make an impact, and then do anything resourceful? And you don't have. Like, how, how do you do and your that? access like, is so difficult in some of your yeah. places. So how are you going to shoot yeah. three or four and get them out? Because yeah. you you physically have to walk them out on your back yeah. in New Zealand or cut them up. Whereas, and so now we have our waros. With the venison price going up, they're now shoot well about to start shooting deer, and it's sort of a it's aerially extracted, isn't yeah, it? Aerial yeah, aerially extracted, but it's topic at the moment. I'd say because it's not necessarily population, age structure management. It's no, just no, no, number it's, management, isn't it? It's num like it's Density. economics. Yeah, no real density either. Like it's literally it's just there's just, that deer's <laughs> worth more than that deer, so we take that deer out. Like okay. it's that's it. like that, so they'll shoot a stag over a hind because he weighs more. So that the period of time and the cost to get that deer, they get a better return. So you're getting some really screwed up population dynamics. It's not, a, but it's not a population. I know it's not, but, but the, role. it's, it's harvesting of animals to sell. But the result of that is that you're going to get this back, very skewed, skewed And it's management. been that way prior. Yeah. And then it built back up and now it's going, should it all go ahead the way it's planned to go ahead, yeah. we'll go that way again. And that's where, an idea of mine, and it's not a right or wrong, is should we as hunters be subsidising these helicopter operators to actually allow for them to be doing management roles versus essentially just making good money when the venison's good? So instead of, and these are just current figures, they're not based on anything. Like when the venison price goes up, they, they get in the air and they shoot more deer and they sell them. Why don't we subsidise them in some sort of form where they can fly every year and take X amount of deer out. That is surveyed on a regular system, so every two years or three years. Yeah, so we, it, we so survey every it year. It maintained yeah. a balance as such. But it allowed for these, because what I'm aware of as hunters, we like to say they shouldn't be doing that. You know, I, don't, I, d I think it's wrong if us as hunters go, that's not right, they stop that. Like, we should work a way of managing that together. And, and for me, that's one. If we could contribute to a pool that pays for the survey. So we know the populations are kept well and the helicopters are actually going out and then they, because of the way it is funded additionally, they can then shoot hinds as a population control. I just think in my head that that makes a lot more sense and there's longevity to it. I think the, the problem when you've got something which is very all-encompassing all and it's countrywide, both of your islands, everybody puts in a pool, is it's hard for people to see where their money is going and so yeah. people won't want to put the money in. I wonder whether a situation where you have a block, a big block, because you've got so much you know, big open country there, where people can actually say, well, this comes under the custodianship rather than uh, ownership of, you know, it might even be a professional outfitter. And it is their job within that to manage it. So you, you take them, the management responsibility lying on the government for the ground to an individual person, or company, 
which that is their job. And they get evaluated, but they also have quotas. So the quotas get given to them, just like they would do in North America by the yeah. uh, Game and Wildlife, or I can never remember exactly what the department's called there. I think it depends on the state, where they say, right, you need to shoot this number, this number, and this number every year. The maximum amount of bulls beyond, uh, from whatever it is, 11 to 14 inches is this for, for tar. So you have this spectrum of responsibilities. And then it becomes, they'd never be able to do all of that with clients, and there would have to be a responsibility for local access. Uh, so that they could work out who is coming into an area, what is exactly being taken out, and everybody fills in the book at the end of the day. Because if everyone is coming and going as they're pleasing, how do you have any idea what is going on, who we is there, and what comes off the land? And if you don't, if there is no way of checking that of what's going on what's coming off the land it's impossible to manage something mm -hmm. and we need to manage the land because there are people there if you don't want to manage the land remove all the people you're four and a half million people in new zealand get them out put them somewhere else but if they're going to be there and there's going to be access to land and the use of resources like your tar and your deer and everything else then it has to be managed. And I know that there is, and that's, an, I'm not just picking on New Zealand, that no, has no, to be no. the case anywhere. It has to be managed here. And it has to be managed with all the things in mind, just like here where we're looking, we had, we, on the estates, they have habitat plots, which they look at year after year, and they work out whether there's excessive damage due to densities of deer in an area. And if there is, then they need to address it. So they might kill more deer the next season after they've worked mm -hmm. that out. And, you know, th I don't know if that's something that I know that th they do look at your native habitat because that's one of the reasons yep. for culling all these numbers. But s it has to be somebody's responsibility. And I think uh, if the responsibility only sits at governmental level, it becomes very difficult to get the funds in and produce the vested interest. Because even in North America, there's loads of public land, but there's professional operators within the public lands. So it is within it's their interest to help manage, to manage. the populations, yep. Yep. and that's the key. The word management, mm. yeah. And for for there to be management, there has to be selection. And the feeling that I got from coming back from New Zealand was that the idea of selection for the mo the vast majority of people who hunt there would be an alien word. Yeah, very much so. Because you know, if it's moving and there's an opportunity, then let's mm -hmm. kill it. Mm -hmm. To me, that's not really hunting because hunting needs to be about making a conscious decision as to why you're killing something. Mm -hmm. And that might be that I want to shoot the first it. thing yeah. I see because I want it for meat. Mm -hmm. But that's not going to be everything, and it doesn't mean that you need to shoot 28 bulls in one valley. Yeah. Yeah, of varying ages. Of varying ages yeah. for no reason. You know, that's just a, you know, there is no justification yeah. for that. That is human nature, though. That, that's unfortunately, isn't it? Mm. Like, there's no restrictive in them doing that. Mm. No, uh, there is no restrictions right now. And... There's always going to be that small portion of population that will push everything to a boundary or use everything in excess, and that's yeah, unfortunately, New Zealand because we don't have a management, or we don't have a restrictive. And to to counter that for here, me making it sound like everything's perfect here under private land ownership, it's not, because what can happen is you might have an estate that decides, you know what, my main focus, and and this this does happen, and it's a point for debate. My main focus is grouse, mm -hmm. so I don't want any deer here for various reasons, for tick and diseases and stuff. So there's basically no deer on the state, but, but it's got a lot of grouse on it. So, you know, that is that is the counter to that. But there, there's enough pockets where the deer still exist. Yeah, we have a lot of deer. The, the overall population 
is in not necessarily in balance, but it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, so th that is the counter, and they can do that because it's their land. It's privately owned land. Um, there is a, a sort of an overarching management w that comes from, from a governmental level when populations become too high. And they may say, if there's lots of road traffic accidents in an area, for example, they may go to an estate, look at the densities and say, you have too many deer here, you need to take action. And if they don't see that action has been taken and the numbers have reduced, there is a mechanism in place where the government can come in with professional colours and wipe out a whole heap of deer. That is possible here, but I can think of two instances in my lifetime that it's actually happened. It doesn't occur. Doesn't, yeah, and then it's very much a New yeah. Zealand way of tackling it. Helicopters come in and, you know, it, it, yep. it would look a bit, yeah. little bit like a scene from New Zealand, but it doesn't really happen here very much because the people who own the rights of those, it is in their interest to have a balance of population for all the species that are there hmm. because they're getting something out of it. Yep. Yep. No, so that was a very long conversation no, to something again, which doesn't right. really have an answer. Yeah, 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 but it's... I don't know. I, I enjoy the conversation though, because it's always good to hear a little, another little point from mm. somebody, and especially from the likes of you guys that are living outside of New Zealand, bigger history around hunting. You know, as as a country, can bring new insight to what you know what we're going through or we're about to go through. I am time restrained. Here. I know you are. Um, I do want to finish with this because I never got off the last podcast. I want to know from each of you what would be your number one animal if you had open budget. Time no time restraint. Anything you want to do? What is it you'd like to hunt? Dow? Sheep. Shoot? Sheep? Yeah. You're not it's even that bothered, are you? Just want that bothered. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I just want to... Oh, I, I I'm want, with you. Mine, I mine's just hunt sheep. Yeah. Mine is the environment up there yeah. is just so it's cool. It, yeah, that, that's the reason, is the, the environment mm -hmm. uh, that they live in. They're incredible things. So, yeah, for me, it's not even a specific... I've just never done it before, and it's something that... I would love to yeah, do. Yeah, no, mine's, mine's stone sheep, so I'm with you on that one, 100%. It, that's a real hard one for me, uh, because a little bit like Daryl, for me, it's far more about the opportunity to go and spend time in an environment than necessarily about the species that are there. I would love to go and spend some time in Alaska, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't even really care the reason, what it is that I'd have the opportunity to hunt there. I just want, I would love to be amongst the grizzlies, and I'd love to be up and close and personal with moose mm -hmm. uh, and spend uh, actually just a bit of time in North America as well just to see the spectrum that's there because I've not had a chance to do that I've done a lot of the rest of the world but the North We're America the to me is yeah. just uh, I've read a lot about it I know a lot of people there so yeah I think I just need to get there but Alaska I don't know what it is about the place big draw card it's a yeah. big big draw card and BC as well yeah. you know I'd love to go to BC well, you know, that, don't you? Yeah, you yeah, do, and it is just being, you know, with the, those people. You know, mm. the, the 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 guides and stuff who work and live there are just nails. Yeah. It's so far from anywhere. Some yeah. of those places that you need to be a certain character to be able to live that year in, year out, and that I think is awesome. Yeah. And so I'd like to go and spend time with those people. In fact, the people almost more than anything else, mm -hmm. and just learn from them. So yeah, I don't really have a species, but I got I got I got locations more than species. Yeah, perfect. Okay, I'm gonna have to wrap it up. Oh man, so how do the Kiwis and anybody else that's listening? How do we find you guys? Uh, that's Daryl's. That's Daryl's job. The best place is Instagram, mm -hmm. which is just Pace underscore Brothers. Uh, we're more active on that than any other social media kind of platform. And then if you want all of our information, podcasts a lot, then it's uh, thepacebrothers.com. And if you want our production, then it's paceproductionsuk.com. 
I think it's that. Yeah, yeah it, is it, is. That. it is that. But we're also on Facebook as well, so you can find us on Facebook. But Instagram is where we We'll, focus. we'll have some links at, yeah, on exactly. our Facebook page. Yeah. And Perfect. So forth. But, um, no, it's been a talk. pleasure. Uh, hopefully next time you can stay for a bit longer so we can actually go and do some hunting so I can return the hunting that I did with you. Yep, no, definitely. Um, hopefully sooner than later. I hope so. But, um, we'll put it together. That's been fun. Yep. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. If you would like to receive a short email from us once a fortnight that contains everything that we've found interesting, educational, entertaining or inspiring within the hunting world, as well as updates on relevant hunting issues, our on-the-ground initiatives and any upcoming events, please visit theeducatedhunter.com forward slash join. You can also check us out on Instagram at theeducatedhunter. Or finally, join the conversation in the Educated Hunter Facebook group. The links for all this can be found below in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening and catch you on the clearing.